Hey, sports fans, you're tuned into the Emerald City Fandom Podcast. We're Seattle fans talking Seattle sports. We're your hosts. I'm Connor Fredrickson. And I'm Sam Hoganson. You ready to get started? Let's send it. Welcome back to the pod, folks. This is episode three. We're going to be talking some more Husky football today. You guessed it, more dogs. And uh, we're going to be deep diving this time into the offense. Way more intriguing than the defense, probably. We were excited about the defense, Sam. I mean, I love I me you. some. I love me some defensive football. Yeah, death but... row dogs. So. But I know that the most of the intrigue on this team and most of the turnover on this team was on the offensive side of the ball. So. Uh, from last year so we're excited to go into that a little bit more um more tonight or i guess you'll be listening to this in the morning so um but unless you're unless you're a night owl out there we see (laughs) you we hear you we're here for you that's right that's right i am myself so i want to have a couple things to go over first though before we get into the, the offensive side of the ball first of all uh we are streaming on all major platforms um, for podcasts so wherever you listen to your podcasts uh, chances are that we are streaming on that platform so please subscribe and follow to follow us on those platforms apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify any of those we're all available on those um yeah so please subscribe and 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 follow us we appreciate all the support and we've gotten really good feedback from the first couple episodes so excited to keep this going in episode three. What you sipping on, Connor? I myself am sipping on some red wine. I've been on a red wine kick the last couple of days. Uh, I'm sipping on a 14 hands hot to trot red blend. Shout so, out to Prosser Washington. That's right. Yeah. Good wine. Good wine. Um, and not too expensive. So it's right kind of in that, you know, eight to $10 range if it's on sale for Fred Meyer. So. Nice. And then I got a backup beer here. Uh, it's a New Belgium Mothership Wit. It's a wheat beer. Good for the fall time. It's got those kind of like baking spices in it. So it tastes pretty good. Nice and warm in my belly after that wine. So nice. How about you, Sam? Everybody's going to find out that you have a, a way more educated and elaborate taste for alcohol than me really quickly. <laughs> um I am drinking on some Trader Joe's blended Scotch whiskey. Mm. Rings in right around ten ninety nine. I'm surprised the bottle's glass and not plastic, but hey, oh, I'll take shit. it. Really, it's pretty good. Honestly, the price point scares a lot of people off. It's got a nice smoky flavor to it. If you're into right. Scotch, check it out. It's probably the best, best bang for your buck. So yeah. Well, um, a couple other things we want to talk about before we jump into the offensive. The offensive preview here. We got some pretty exciting news this week dropped on UW football Twitter and Instagram. If you haven't checked it out, yeah. we got some new uniforms that dropped this week. Mm-hmm. First are... alternate uniforms with Adidas. So yep, since we switched over last year, Adidas. I think they released um, alternates for multiple different teams. I know Miami had one, Georgia Tech mm-hmm. had one. I think mm-hmm. potentially Nebraska even had one. And the theme were were black alternate jerseys. So 
the Huskies jerseys, I'll try, we'll try to describe them, but you really got to see them for yourself. So go check out the Husky football Twitter and Instagram pages. Mm-hmm. All black from head to toe. You got black helmets with the purple W. The blackout black is back. Yep. They were originally donned. The blackout was 2016 against USC. Mm-hmm. Not one of my finest nights ever. We <laughs> lost that game. <laughs> That was our first loss in 2016. Azim yeah, Victor broke his leg, and then I got dragged to a piano bar downtown Seattle, and it just was ended. That night ended really poorly. Not not my best my best showing. So I hopefully we don't have. Me about that. Yeah, we, we'll talk about that offline. That's not okay. That's not for the listeners. Not yet. Sounds good. They, they don't know me well enough for that kind of story. Maybe in a um, post game show, folks. Yeah, maybe if, if they're lucky. But <laughs> hopefully this year with the blackout jerseys, we'll have more luck than than that game. They've they're got, clean, dude. They they, they look nice. Uh, they're cleaner than the, the twenty. I, I for a blackout jersey, I like them. I think I think they're they're clean. They're simple. They're a little more yep. simple than in years past with blackout games. And I mean, it, the twenty sixteen was the last time that they did a blackout game. They did blackout games, and we were at UW though too. Yeah, I guess we did have a blackout. We had blackout jerseys mm-hmm. under yeah, Sark back... when Sankey was our running back and yeah. locker. You're and right. Keith Price and stuff, yeah. So we had blackout jerseys for those too. Um, I, these are a little bit less glamorized, I guess, as those, I guess. I don't know. They're, they're not fancy. There's no, just not, not a fancy. lot of... They're very simple. I like, I like the simplicity of them, and they just look clean. Yeah, they're they're all. I black. like the I like I like the design of the Adidas logo or, or Adidas jerseys just in general, though. Yeah, I'm so a big I've, fan of the new Adidas jerseys for sure. Yeah. But the if you're a traditionalist thing, and you like the purple and gold, you know, purple tops, gold pants, yeah, you're we'll, probably not going to be a big fan. Yeah, we'll 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 get into that in a second. But to round out the jerseys, the only thing that caught my eye that looked a little bit funky to me was the fact that they're all black jerseys. Mm-hmm. And then the numbers on the chest in the back are white block yep. numbers with purple piping, mm-hmm. but then there are numbers on the shoulder pads as well that are in purple block letters. So it looks oh, a little notice that looks okay. a little funky to me. Yeah, but overall, I like the I, think I like really the white cool. numbers though, because that was the one thing that I didn't like about the previous blackout uniforms. They were purple numbers with gold trim. I think they didn't pop. Yeah, like it just do. it looked it looked very messy. I guess is a is the way that I would describe it. Um, yeah, kind of blobby. So I I like how crisp the, these these uniforms look. Yep, and going back to episode one when I was introducing myself as a Husky fan, you know, I was brought into Husky fandom from my grandfather. He was at the University of Washington in the '40s before he left for World War II. My dad was there in the early mid '80s. So I was brought up in a very traditional Husky household, I'll say. Mm-hmm. And uh, both my dad and my grandpa were pretty strict on week in, week out, home games. It is a gold helmet, purple jersey, gold pants. And on the road, it needs to be the same gold helmet. The helmet to them was like the Bible. It should yep. never be touched. It should always mm-hmm. be the gold helmet with the purple W, I think they're, you know, had some PTSD from when we tried the purple helmets in the Lambright era. Didn't go so well outside of Corey Dillon. They got a point there. So, I, you know, 
part of me. I love the the history and the tradition of the normal jerseys, but I think my dad's coming around. I think he got a black Shaq Thompson jersey when we yeah, I think you're right. yeah. came out with That's those. Right. So mm-hmm. he might be a big fan. I'll be interested to see what Daddy Sam thinks. But anyways, we'll wrap that up. You should check it out for yourselves. We did our best to describe it. But in, in general, I think they're really clean. They're crisp. And I think they'll resonate with the younger players and the recruits. So I think all yeah, in all, it's a good it's, recruiting it's, tool. It's a positive thing for sure. Yeah. And well... I'm never in favor of us going the Oregon route and having, you know, um, no, 300 different Jersey combinations, but you know, one alternate, one or two alternates, I don't think is a bad thing. Um, quick thing though. I, Jimmy likes had said that they were going to wear this for one game this year. Yeah. What's your, what's your prediction on the game? Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> no, I doubt. don't know. I don't know. That's what I want them to come out against Oregon but it is the last game of the season so it might it might it might be dependent on how everything is playing out you know yeah like if they're you know if Oregon's two games ahead of them three games ahead of them you know a few games into the season maybe maybe they don them a little bit earlier in the year but it's only a six game season so it's pretty quick <laughs> yeah. only, it's, and it's only gonna, it's going to be one of the home games obviously so one of those three games Yep, for sure. Cool. Yeah, so that's that's one of the big big things that dropped uh, this last weekend, or was that today? I think they got released Sunday night. Sunday night, yeah. The other news that dropped today, Monday, the 26th, is that we got a game time for the Cal game. So it actually feels real. We're going to be playing some football here in a couple weeks. Heck yeah. So the dogs are going to kick off against Cal at 7 30 p.m on the 7th um and that is on espn is what we yep, heard so. absolutely i know connor's pretty jazzed why don't you tell the listeners about your new setup for this season he's pretty pumped about it so in honor of social distancing in the covid year trying to think of an outdoor friendly setup for watching dog games uh and the route that i went was projector one caveat of that is obviously it has to be dimly lit or at least like dusk basically when the game is kicking off in order for the projector to shine on the back of my house. So a 7.30 kick is basically perfect. Um, the one thing that we have on our on our side here is with daylight savings and, you know, it's going into winter and it's getting darker earlier. So even the 4.30 kicks I think are going to be a pretty good possibility of being able to watch in my backyard for sure. So, um, yeah, excited to don that for the first game and we'll see what these other kicks end up being. I, I like the 1230 kicks. Don't get me wrong. So I'm hoping that we have one or two of those this year too, but, um, I'm excited to, you know, utilize my, my projector. So start the season off. Right. And, uh, right. I guess providing a little bit of insight to how we do this podcast too, right now, Connor and I, we do this virtually over a Zoom call. Uh, we record it. So yep. we're looking forward to the chance to watch a game together, responsibly social distance in Connor's backyard with the projector. And we're going to look into seeing if we can't figure out a way to do a couple of these shows live um, in person, which would be really fun. So, yeah, Sam, when, whatever game we end up getting together um, for, 
even if it's just like cold as balls outside, let's just keep the canopy up and get the six foot table up and sit opposite of each other and record our post game. Like, yeah, right after. No, I think that would work well. And after a game and jumping up, like, I mean, Connor's watched me, you know, experienced watching a game with the Hoganson guys before we're pretty animated. (laughs) So I'll be warm. I'll be warm. I'll be ready to go. Cool, man. Yeah. So those are kind of just a couple of little, you know, housekeeping items, announcements that we wanted to share with you guys before we got started into this offensive preview. But um, I know that Sam, uh, so, so I guess some background into this offense, we have a new offensive coordinator with, with the change in the coaching staff, John Donovan. He was with the Jaguars, I think, right before this. And before that, he was with Penn State as an offensive coordinator. I think he was a running backs coach or something like that with the Jaguars. Yeah, he had a couple of different roles, yeah. So, or run game coordinator or something like that, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, a guy that wasn't really one of the sexy picks for our offensive coordinator. I know that was one of the more highly sought after positions or highly anticipated positions for Jimmy Lake to hire for um th- this this offseason and his his debut season as husky coach um but you know i mean it john donovan is an experienced an experienced oc he's done it before at big programs and been successful and the one thing that jimmy lake really wants that john D- donovan is good at is running a simplified pro style offense where you're able to showcase some of your young talent. That's going back to Sam's points. I think it was, I can't remember if it was episode one or two. I think it was episode one. You were saying that one of the big knocks on Chris Peterson was the fact that his offensive coordinators tended to have a little bit more complex systems. So they favored a lot of the more seasoned veterans and it was harder for some of the young guys to get on the field and showcase their talent. I think Jimmy Lake sees it very differently and he wants to take his approach with the defensive backs being able to you know showcase and utilize that young talent and the guys that he recruited and wanted to you know carry that over to the rest of the team including the offense so sam's going to go kind of into more detail on on the formation and kind of just the the look of this offense but the basic premise of this is for, for young guys to get on the field earlier. Yeah, absolutely. The other hire, the other new face on the coaching staff will be our tight ends coach, Durham Cato. Mm -hmm. Um, He's been in the program for a couple of years as a graduate assistant, quality control type of guy. And when Jordan Pow Pow left, it seemed like it was internally a pretty obvious hire Again, kind of similarly, not the sexy hire that some people maybe would have anticipated, but one of the big benefits of, you know, promoting Durham Cato to the tight ends job was he was already somewhat involved with the recruiting of that, of the current class of 2020 that we signed. And so he was able to secure the signatures of the three freshman tight end that we have on our roster that are really talented, highly sought after recruits. And as a great segue into how the offense is going to look under John Donovan, it's going to look a lot of the same that we've seen. Mm -hmm. We're going to utilize the tight ends a lot. So securing a class of, you know, 
securing the depth of this team for the years to come was really we've important. had some we've had some good ones in the recent years right yeah yeah i mean we've got a couple of nfl tight ends out there and will disley drew sample hunter bryant yep. daryl daniels josh perkins is there as well although he yep. was a sark guy so yeah we definitely have produced and and put some NFL talent out there at that position. And based on the way that recruiting has kind of seam, seamlessly continued, I don't anticipate that changing. Digging into John Donovan's background a little bit more in depth for the listeners that don't know much about him. As Connor said, he is joining us from Jacksonville Jaguars. One of the other things that Jimmy Lake preached about in his hiring search or coaching search rather was professional coaching experience. Part of that is through Jimmy Lake's personal experience um, when he was with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as a defensive backs coach. He felt like he had learned a lot from the professional ranks and some having somebody on the staff that had similar experience in the pro league really meant a lot to him. And John Donovan has definitely has that. I think he was with Jacksonville for three or four years in a number of different capacities. I know Connor, you mentioned he was a running backs coach for a little bit. He was initially brought on as a quality control coach and he was specifically assigned to red zone, kind of the realm of red zone playbook, red zone hmm. strategy. And he was actually credited pretty heavily for a lot of the offensive success that the Jaguars team had. I believe in 2017, they made it to the AFC championship game with Blake Bortles, Leonard, Leonard Fournette, yep. and they had some really, really great success in the red zone efficiency metrics that, that they had that year. And John Donovan, I think, had a lot to do with that, which is obviously a really important part of the game and yeah, no doubt. great feather in his cap. Before that, he was in the college ranks for a long time. He was with the right hand man for James Franklin for a long time. They started coaching together in Maryland when James Franklin was there. And then when James Franklin moved on to Vanderbilt, John Donovan went along with him. And then ultimately they both ended up at Penn state for two years together. And that was when Franklin was taken over for, I think Bill O'Brien at that point left for the Houston Texans and Bill O'Brien had just taken over a year or two before after the whole Jerry Sandusky, Joe Paterno mm -hmm. fiasco. So yeah. the reason I bring that up is it's important context into why John Donovan ultimately was fired from Penn state. He was pretty handcuffed in terms of talent. That whole program was under pretty heavy sanctions from a scholarship perspective. And looking back a lot of, a lot of people view that firing as a little bit of a scapegoat scenario where they weren't performing on the field. And at some point somebody has to more or less take the blame and, you know, looking at, I think it was, I'm forgetting his first name, something Moorhead, Joe Moorhead potentially took over for him and Penn state had immediate success right after that with, quarterbacks and a running back that you'll likely recognize because Huskies faced them in which bowl game was that? Was that the, that was the Fiesta, Fiesta bowl. bowl? 
Trace McSorley at quarterback and Saquon Barkley. One that goes by Saquon Barkley at running back. Pretty good running back. And those are John Donovan guys. He recruited them. Mm -hmm. And I think that is really important to keep in mind as we go down these position battles and get to the, the QB battle. It's important to keep in mind that John Donovan recruited Trace McSorley and McSorley was an extremely effective college quarterback because he was a dual threat. And if anybody can remember the Fiesta bowl, he hurt us badly on third down with his legs and his mobility. And so I do think as we talk more about how John Donovan's offense might look in purple and gold for the Huskies this year, to Connor's points earlier, we're going to for sure see a pro style, multiple formation offense. I do think that we're going to not necessarily because it's John Donovan's style, but maybe playing to our personnel a little bit more. And we'll get into this throughout the podcast is our team is built to pound the ball. Our yep. offensive line is huge. We've got proven running backs that can run with power. Mm-hmm. We've got a deep tight end room. And so I think you're going to see a lot of motion. I think you're going to see a lot of pounding the rock and then taking deep shots with some of these young receivers that we'll talk about. But yep. I guess for the most part, I, I would, if the listeners take anything away from this quick intro into John Donovan's scheme and style is you're going to see it's going to look and feel very similar to what you've seen in the past in terms of being a pro style, multiple formation offense. But I do think that maybe driven by our current personnel, it could potentially be more run heavy, more power football, and then try to take the top off the defense with some of these highly talented, you know, burners of wide receivers that we've got. Yeah, for you Seahawks fans out there, think Russell Wilson early era, basically, style of offense is what this is going to be. So like 2002 to 2012 to 2014 or so yep. is kind of the style of offense that we're talking here. Yeah, that's a great comparison. Cool. So should we dive into it? Yeah, let's talk about the big boys. Yeah, so we'll start off with the offensive line here. You've heard Sam and I talk these first couple of episodes about that there is a massive difference in this year's team especially but just over like the last couple of years and just the size and athleticism of of this team and especially up front you know when it comes to both sides of the lines so the offensive line is is one of these these areas that we've really started to kind of put ourselves as Sam alluded to on episode two on the map, you know, with, with some of these, you know, huge programs around the country, you know, your Ohio States and Alabama's and Clemson's like to, to, to compete with that level of competition, you need to have a certain size up front. And, you know, we, we've started to, be able to get some of those style of recruits. Um, and so it starts here. It's, it all starts up here on the line. So this is probably going to be the area of, or I guess the part of the podcast that is going to uh, be, I guess, not quite as in depth, mainly because these positions are pretty solidified at yep. this point. 
There are some yeah. major changes, though, that we, we do want to talk about. The first one's at left tackle. So we're replacing Trey Adams, who struggled with a lot of injuries, but was, for the most part, a very mainstay left tackle. For four years. Four-year four starter, yeah. So um, he had a, a – I think he ended up having an injury redshirt somewhere in there. I can't remember what year that was. I think but it, it was wasn't... his third year in the program. He took yeah. an injury redshirt. So he, he, was at, he was at the program, I believe, for five years, but he was a four-year starter for us and battled some injuries. But, you know, I mean, was one of these guys that after his junior year was going to – was kind of a consensus, you know, top 10 pick if he was healthy – Yep. Um, so big, big shoes to fill and, uh, filling those shoes is going to be actually our, our starting right guard from last year, which isn't really, you know, your first thought probably whenever you're thinking of a starting left tackle, but Jackson Kirkland, uh, lost 30 pounds over the off season and is going to be starting at left tackle for us this year. Sounds like he's really caught on to the position. Well, um, I think he might have even been recruited as a tackle. Is that correct? Yeah, he played tackle his entire high school career. And yeah. one shout out really quick for the listeners that have been around Husky football for a while. The name should sound familiar. You potentially have gotten to know this over the years he's been starting at right guard, but he is the son of a former Husky great, Dean mm-hmm. Kirkland, yep. who wore number 51 in the Don James era and Jackson is definitely carrying the torch, still wearing number 51 like his dad did and trying out a new position at left tackle. His body's built for it. He's really tall and long and lean. So I think to Connor's point, having dropped a few pounds, well, not a few pounds, 30 pounds this off season, I think will help him adjust to the, the quickness of some of the edge pass rushers that he'll be facing this year. But from the sounds of it, he's really kind of taken to the position well. And for the most part, people feel pretty damn comfortable with what he'll be able to do protecting whoever our quarterback's blind side will be. Yeah, for sure. And with all the turnover on this offensive line this year from prior years, you really want someone that's experienced at that left tackle spot, you know, like obviously Jackson Kirkland isn't experienced in college at left tackle per se, but he is one of our more experienced offensive linemen that is returning. And so just having that type of experience, just to solidify that side of the line, that, that blind side of the quarterback is going to be huge. For sure. And he'll likely from the way that the rotation has gone throughout practice, he'll likely be backed up by a red shirt freshman, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, Troy Faltanu, who is yeah, highly freshman. Cool. He's highly recruited out of Liberty High School in Nevada, mm-hmm. and he is arguably the most athletic lineman on the roster. And I think he's solidified that backup left tackle role for now. But depending on how things shake out for the rest of these guys in the starting rotation, yeah. I think Troy is somebody who is so physically gifted and naturally talented that he might find a way to creep into the starting lineup and you're going to see him playing at some point this season, I think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And we saw it a decent amount last year. They, you know, the Huskies aren't afraid to rotate some guys on the offensive line, you know, give guys a series every once in a while, especially some of the younger guys, 
in games that are, you know, out of hand on either direction. They'll give some young guys some run. And um, I think Troy, is it Fautanu or Fautanu? Fautanu, I believe. Fautanu. So I think Troy is is one of those guys that fits into that category pretty well. I think he's he's definitely going to see the field this year. It's just where and when those spots are. Yeah, for sure. And I think this is actually a good place to just stop for a second and talk about Scott Huff, the offensive line coach. Yeah. He's a really, he's been a, a beast of a recruiter. Honestly, he's pulled in a lot of great talent. And one of the things that you'll notice as we go through the rest of the offensive line here, one of the things that he stresses in recruiting op- potential offensive linemen for the university of Washington is he, he stresses versatility more than a lot of offensive line coaches yeah. do. And so you see that, you know, exhibit A is Jackson Kirkland moving from right guard to left tackle. And Roy is of the same mold. He, you know, could easily play guard. There's rumblings that he could play center. Right now he's slated at left tackle. So Troy is one of those guys to my earlier point where, you know, next man up mentality, heaven forbid somebody gets injured he has the type of versatility to play all five positions along the offensive line. And there's, you know, maybe a hand, you know, two, three other people on this list that could plug and play in other positions. And yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a common theme as long as Scott Huff is our offensive line coach. And to Connor's point, he's not afraid to put new faces in new positions and see how it all works out. Yeah, for sure. Can I introduce this guy? Yeah, dude, please do. I know you're excited about him. Left guard, Ulamu Ale. Get oh, to man, know I thought, the name. I thought you were going to do like the, you know, Bulls intro, you know, at 6'6", 355. <laughs> he is a big boy, and he's big he's local, I believe. I forget which high school he comes from. I'll look I want to say Rainier Beach, but he was. I know that's Nate. Uh, it was Nate Kalepo. Yep. Rainier Beach. Yep. Yeah. He's five. He's five. Ah, yep. got it wrong. Well, anyway, still local. Almost. Almost, Sam. And he was not a highly recruited player coming out of high school. Mm-hmm. I would consider this a significant diamond in the rough type yeah, of true finding. sophomore. Played as a freshman, though. Yeah. He was one of the stalwarts on our field goal blocking squad last year mm-hmm. just for his sheer size and power. And you want to talk about somebody that is country strong, just totally can bulldoze people. It is Ulumu Ale 100%. Connor said it off the top, 6'5-ish, 350 pounds, and he is not doughy. When you look at this guy, you do not think about Pillsbury, crescent rolls, cinnamon <laughs> rolls. You think about freaking, what's the name of, from Moana, the movie, the the guy oh. that Dwayne the Rock Johnson yeah, played. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Maui. 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 Yep, yep, yep. He Good is job. a solid, solid looking guy for weighing 355 pounds. And I am, if you can't tell already, super excited about what he's going to be able to do. In does terms he sing of, your welcome? Well, if he doesn't, he should start learning the song because <laughs> he is phenomenally gifted. In yeah. the physical traits aspect for being he'll be that say, big, he'll be, he'll be saying he'll be saying that to his his running backs a few times. I think this year. Oh yeah, he's gonna open up 
some running lanes that you could drive a Mack truck through. He is going to do some great things. And I'm really excited to see what he can do for us along the offensive line. Yeah. Really excited about him. And then Connor, you called him out earlier. Nate Kalepo, also another local guy that is just massive. I think he's dude. Yeah. six five three six six three thirty is what I got here. Yeah. Redshirted last year, but he he was technically Trey Adams' backup last year at left tackle. Yep. And so again, with versatility, he was a backup last year at left tackle. He's moving inside. It seems like this year at left guard. He's from Rainier Beach, big time Husky fan from the get go. He was a big part of the recruiting effort uh, of his class. And actually even the class before him, he was really vocal on the recruiting trail, trying to get guys to commit to UW. So I think, you know, another really big body, quick, quick feet, and, you know, going down this list, it's really exciting to be able to see that we, for the first time that I can really remember, I feel like we're eight to 10 linemen deep. Yeah. No, I mean, I, if one of these guys goes, one or two of these guys go down, there's some depth there that can fill in. And Nate Kalepo obviously didn't, did he end up even playing last year? He redshirted that he could play up to four games, but I don't think he played at all. No, I don't um, think so. And it's he was honestly one of those guys that you know i mean i thought he was going to be the natural fill-in for trey adams once he went to the nfl and then you know jackson kirkland decides to lose 30 pounds and in transition to left tackle so um but yeah nate Kalepo is one of these guys that that was his four-star recruit you know and he's a big dude and um yeah, like Sam said, one of these guys that was leading the push on on recruiting some of these other players to UW. So he's been a dog all his life, and you know you got to root for a guy like that. Gotta love having somebody like that in the program. Yeah. Um, obviously, more so than ever, it's it's really important to have some dogs on the roster that are born and raised on the right side of the state and hate the Cougs. <laughs> and Nate Kalepo is going to be one of the, one of those guys that helps pump the locker room up for that game and helps, you know, let everyone know how important that game is to the university of Washington. And you can't have enough of those local guys to, to push that kind of hype for that game. Cause I'm not fixing to lose to no damn Coug. Yep. For sure. Can't agree more, man. And keeping along on the position change front, some of you, while we're, you know, previewing the left guard spot might be wondering, well, didn't our left guard from last year come back? Wasn't, isn't he going to be a senior this year? Yep. Luke Wattenberg. That's right. Yeah. And he's got big shoes to fill. Nick Harris, a four-year starter, um, got drafted by the Cleveland Browns this last off season. So, you know, one of those, one of those guys that was a, a stalwart center for us for, four long years and you know as a freshman was playing against alabama yeah that's a tough so draw that's yeah <laughs> i don't know if he really excelled in that game but let's just say you know i mean that guy had some big game experience so the luke wattenberg's the lone senior on this on this starting offensive lineman too i might add yeah and the interesting link here too is a actually a really cool story so Luke Wattenberg is taking over for Nick Harris at center and they were actually high school teammates. And oh, I didn't even know that. Did yeah. You know? This is, this is a really cool story. So they were both high school teammates at, I believe Junipero Sarah in California and Nick Harris, you know, as 
the Husky fans have gotten to know him was extremely lightly recruited player. I don't know that he even had scholarship offers from some D2 schools. He was really that far down the list. And the Husky coaching staff went to a high school game to recruit Luke Wattenberg. Mm-hmm. And Nick Harris caught their eye. And they weren't even actively recruiting Nick Harris. They didn't know who he even was. They were there to watch Luke Wattenberg play and Nick Harris caught their eye. And as things obviously unfolded, we recruited them both. We were Nick Harris's only division one offer. So he committed Luke Wattenberg committed. And, you know, as the story unfolds, Nick Harris, the least recruited of the two is the one that starts as a true freshman, like Connor said against Alabama and carried the torch for us along the offensive line for many years. And, Luke Wattenberg, I think, had some medical issues coming out of high school and lost a lot of weight, had to red shirt. And so now Luke Wattenberg gets to take over the center position for his former high school teammate and good buddy, Nick Harris. And yeah. I think most people feel pretty comfortable that, you know, Waddy, he's been on the line for a long time. He's an intelligent player and should be able to handle the center duties with, with relative ease. Yeah, for sure. You want someone at that center position that can make those calls and checks and is experienced in that kind of position and knows the speed of the game in college. And Luke Wattenberg fills that fills that role really well. Yeah, for sure. Another big dude on at, at right card, dude. Another big local dude. I guess I guess I skipped over. Uh, do you want to talk about the backup center at all or? Yeah, I mean, we can we can breeze through that really quick. Mateo Mele, he's a recruit from Arizona. He's, again, versatility-wise, he's spent some time in backup roles at tackle. I think he's spent some backup time at guard. He filled in for Nick Harris at center for a game or two last year. So, again, to our, you know, the theme of this offensive line preview, the backup positions are really solid. Mateo Mele came in and played a couple of key games last year and, you know, played really pretty damn well. So he's a name in this center category. And then Connor, I know there's a true freshman that's really caught your eye. Usually don't see true freshmen come in and be able to compete, but I'll let you introduce that guy. Yeah. Miles Morrell is a dude that's been apparently catching coach's eyes in, in fall camp. And he was, he was, he's, widely regarded as our highest recruit since Nathan Rhodes along the offensive line, along the offensive line. So that's, I mean, a long time to give you, you know, non Husky fans, a, a, or even Husky fans that just aren't, aren't familiar with Nathan Rhodes. Nathan Rhodes played for the Huskies from 2002 to 2006. So long time ago, been, been a bit, been a while. So yeah, a dude that's obviously very talented and, you know, if you're looking for an upside pick to, you know, if again, like Sam said, if any of these guys struggle or goes down across the offensive line, especially one of the guards and Luke Wattenberg needs to maybe shift into another role while Mateo Mele might be the favorite to shift into that center position. I wouldn't, I wouldn't sleep on miles morale, possibly making, making some noise and, possibly getting some playing time there too but obviously i think the hope would be that everything is gucci with the way that the offensive line is now you know and you you can redshirt miles 
Yeah, exactly. And and one other quick note on Miles. Which I guess I don't know why I even said that because this year doesn't count. So that's true. That's the one but, I'm talking. No, no, I think it's still a valid point because you know the offensive line is one of the more probably the most violent positions and physically taxing positions in sure. all of football. And I think it's just really important to allow 18, 19 year old guys a year to mature develop. and develop in the strength and conditioning program. Cause even if so, they have the weight, they may not have the strength. Exactly. There's a big difference. And one quick note on miles before we move on, you know, he was obviously in his own right, an extremely talented high school recruit that we got, but even more than that, he played at modern day down in Southern California, which is more or less a freaking feeder program for USC. I can't do they tell even go you. To, do they even go to classes there? I would think possibly not. <laughs> <laughs> they do go to class and class one is football. Class two is football and class yeah. three is football. You get the picture. That's There's great. a national powerhouse year in, year out. And they typically pump out a handful of five-star recruits, just a total powerhouse of a program. I can't tell you the last time the Huskies were able to pry, you know, a top recruit from modern day up North to Seattle. So just from a establishing a relationship with the coaches down there, have a connection to the program, really important to, to be able to pull miles morale up here. I think could potentially open up the gateways to, you know, getting a few talented players from modern day down the road, which would be great. No doubt. Yeah. Hopefully that's a sign of things to come. For sure. All right. Now we can shift to right, right guard. I'm sorry for the premature, you know, you're just excited. I get I it. Am. I am. I'm well, I'm really excited about the position positions that we're, we're going to get to here, but I'll, I'll stick with the offensive line for now. And this is one of those guys that we should be excited about though. Um, and it's a, it's Henry Bainavalu. Yeah. Okay. I'm Got sorry. It. I, I'm, I have like OCD about pronouncing these names, right. And they're not easy folks. Yeah. They don't make it easy on us. That's for sure. No. Uh, but this is a guy that filled in for Jackson Kirkland at right guard in the Las Vegas bowl against Boise state last year and did a really, really fine job. Dominated. Yeah. Listen. If you all if you all want to you know pick up some pancakes, you go down to the IHOP usually. <laughs> watch a Husky football game and keep your eyes on number sixty six. You're gonna get flapjacks after flapjacks after flapjacks. He's a beast. Dude's got a mean streak for sure, and he's one of those guys that you love to pull like it for a for an off tackle run, you know, a pulling guard, and just because he's got that athleticism and he really gets downhill really fast. So. Um, yeah, he's going to be taking out some linebackers this year, some linemen. Um, so excited to see what he can do in his first full year of starting. Uh, do you want to talk about the guy behind him? Yeah, so Julius Bulo right now is slated at right guard, which is actually really peculiar to me because Julius Bulo has the prototypical tackle yeah, stature. Sure. He's 6'8", I yeah. believe 330 That's plus. so tall for a guard really tall for a, for a guard. So Julius, he comes from Hawaii and he was a pretty decent recruit just from raw athleticism and the upside potential of somebody with that size, but he was very, very raw in terms of technique and understanding the game. So 
if I'm reading into it a little bit too much, I can maybe stipulate that he had some struggles last year picking up the the technique of playing tackle and some of the quicker edge pass rushers. And so I think Scott Huff is intrigued to pull him into guard and see what they can do. For you Seahawks fans out there, think Jermaine Effetti struggling at right tackle. And, you know, people thought, you know, just shift him inside to be a guard. He's got the size to be a guard. And, you know, the Seahawks are very stubborn and kept him at right tackle and obviously didn't re-sign him this last offseason. And now he's with the Bears, signed a one-year deal with the Bears, and he's at guard, and he's doing pretty well. Who'd have thunk? Yeah, so we're going to give Bulo a chance at guard, it seems like. And again, while it might seem peculiar to have somebody that's 6'8 playing inside, it could work out for the best for both himself and his individual development as a football player and for the University of Washington. And then scooting over to right tackle to round out the offensive line is actually the exact opposite of what we just described. Victor Kern is way shorter than your your usual right tackle. I think he's six, three, excuse me, six, three, but he's a big boy. He's a big boy. He's three thirty. He's got Mm -hmm. long arms. And similarly to Henry Banavalu, he got a decent amount of playing time towards the end of last year in the apple cup and the, the bowl game against Boise state and played quite admirably. So a lot, a lot of people, you know, while on paper it might not look like a strong spot at right guard or right tackle at 6-3, his tape tells a different story. And I'm a big fan of Victor Kern alongside Henry. Both of them are mean, mean, mean guys on the football field. And I expect to see some extracurricular business going on after the whistle (laughs) from those boys. Yeah, when we're running right, make sure you're uh, keeping your eyes on those two after the play they're going to be finishing some people off probably maybe a, little, maybe a little after the whistle gotta love it you gotta have some of those chippy guys up front and he'll be backed up by Corey luciano mm-hmm. he's a junior college transfer last year due to some depth issues he was asked to cut a bunch of weight i think he lost 30 or 40 pounds to yeah. be a backup tight end dude's like he christian was, bale you think he's a good looking guy huh I didn't say that. I said, I just mean that he can, you know, gain and lose weight very quickly. I got you a little flustered over there, Connor. I'm all hot and bothered now. (laughs) But yeah, so Luciano's moving back to what we recruited him for is the offensive Mm -hmm. line. He's going to be kind of a a band-aid reserve as well. He can play tackle. He can play guard. I believe he had some playing experience at his junior college at center. So Again, just rounding out the line with the general theme is really talented, really deep, and extremely versatile. And I think, you know, as we mentioned, the 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 first stringers seems pretty set in stone with yeah. again Jackson Kirkland at left tackle, Ulamu Ale at left guard, Luke Wattenberg at center, Henry Bainavalu at right guard, and Victor Kern at right tackle. But don't be surprised if there's some mixing and matching going on, swapping of there positions. Yeah, I think there will be. And especially just in, we've stressed this, you know, in our first couple episodes a lot, just with this year and the whole eligibility 
thing going on as far as you know you don't you don't accrue a year of eligibility this year you're going to see some young guys get some shots and you're just going to see more rotation along a lot of a lot of these positions yeah i think that'll be one of the fun things in general on both sides of the ball with the way that the season will be and eligibility rules is i think there will be an underlying theme of experimenting and the coaches taking advantage of the time to figure out what they've got when the bright lights turn on on Saturdays. So should be interesting to see how it all shakes out. Yeah. Yeah. I can't agree more. Should we uh, start delving into some of these, you know, more sexy position group battles? Yeah. Let's go into the skill positions. I guess with the a light segue, the tight ends maybe aren't the most sexy, but in our offense, they sure do get a lot of run. Hey, man, I love me some Will Disley. Will Disley's a stud. Big fan of him, and I think the guy that we've got leading the tight end group this year will be joining Will Disley next season. No doubt. Potentially, potentially next season. He is only a junior, so he could come back, but yeah, I think he is a surefire NFL tight end, and that yeah. is Cade Otten. Mm-hmm. He is from um, Timberline, I believe, Tumwater. Tumwater down in southern, southwestern Washington. The last name should sound familiar to people in the area that follow Washington high school football. His grandfather, Sid Otten, is the most winningest high school coach in the state history. And he actually has a little brother named Ryan Otten, who's tearing it up as a senior in high school, or will be tearing it up as a senior in high school this spring. Mm -hmm. Most people have him as a lock to commit to the Huskies and follow in his brother's footsteps and potentially become the next great Husky tight end. But we'll focus on Cade for now. Last season, he really solidified himself as not only a a great blue collar run blocker, but showed some great pass catching ability and running after the catch. His stat line last year was 32 receptions for 344 yards For those that can't do quick math, that's right around 10, 11 yards per catch and two touchdowns. Mm -hmm. We expect him to improve on that stat line this year and be a really focal point of the passing attack on, you know, moving the chains, third down conversion type scenarios. Yeah. And these are stats that he accumulated behind Hunter Bryant, who for sure obviously was a very standout pass catcher in the Huskies offense last year. And Cade's actually our, our top receiver coming back, not in terms of yards, but in terms of receptions. Yep. So this is a guy that you can look our, at our quarterback leaning on whoever our quarterback is. We will get to that. Yep. Little, little teaser there, but yeah, Cade's someone that we're really excited to see, you know, how he develops this season way more of your, you know, Drew sample, Will Disley type of tight end than, then maybe your more H back like style of tight end with, you know, your ASJs and, you know, stuff like that. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do this year though. And I think for the real intrigue at tight end though, is probably in this backup position. And that's because Jacob Kaiser was likely to fill that role. Yep. And he has, like we said in the last episode, he has opted out for this season and we'll see what his future holds. But, you know, that gives some of these other guys a chance 
One of them's Jack Westover. Um, he's a true sophomore. Um, and he kind of filled that H back kind of fullback role almost last year. Yep. He was a walk on and he ended up getting a scholarship this last off season, or actually, I guess just, just got it right. Like yep. last week. So yeah, congratulations to Jack on, on receiving a scholarship and he'll definitely be factoring in, into the mix, uh, at, at that backup tight end or second tight end role. Um, another, another guy that could factor in is Devin Colt. I'm not high on him. I know you know why, Sam, but he's athletic, but he's got bricks for hands. I'll just say that. He had, he didn't get a lot of chances to, to show his ability. That's putting it very nicely, Sam. He had one chance in a pivotal third or fourth down conversion. Fourth down. And he dropped the ball big time. Pretty much lost us the game because that was we were we had the lead I believe. Yep. And if we, had if we converted, convert that, I think we run run the clock out and win the game. So Devin Culp has a lot to prove and make up for in Connor's mind and mine as well. But I do think that the physical potential, the traits that he holds, are pretty intriguing. He was actually a running back in the wing T offense for Gonzaga Prep and was a pretty prolific runner in the high school level. He has obviously added a lot of bulk and weight since then, mm-hmm. but he's kind of a dark horse to emerge as that Hunter Bryant H back type role. You could see him playing some more fullback lining up in the fullback position a little bit. You know, I'd like that. I'd like to see him maybe play some fullback and get in the backfield and, you know, block some guys and catch some easy passes out of the flat or something like that. So I think that would be a pretty good role for him. Hopefully catch him. Yeah. Well, (laughs) that's, yeah. But honestly, the, the, the most exciting part of this tight end position is in these three freshmen. Shout out to Durham Cato. That's right. Yep. And we, yeah, we, Sam teased it earlier. He recruited all three of these guys. Two of them are four-star recruits and Mark Redmond and Jack Yeri. And they are beasts. They are, you know, college-ready bodies. 6'6", 245 for Mark Redmond. 6'6", 250 for Jack Yeri. Big boys. So, and, Absolutely. Yeah, to, to give you a sense, Kate Dotton's the starter, 6'5", 240. And he's a junior. These guys yeah. are coming in as true freshmen, and they're bigger than Kate. They're ready to play. And the one, the one of that group, I think Mark Redmond is a – true polished tight end for sure i think the intrigue with jack yeri and some of the older listeners might recognize the last name he's the the son of ron yeri who was an all-american tackle for usc went on to have a great pro career there are some rumors out there that if jack yeri can't stay away from the burgers and the donuts he could become an extremely athletic tackle along the offensive line. So whether that happens or not, I'm not necessarily going to put my money where my mouth is on that one, but it will be an interesting development to see. He obviously has the bloodlines to that, that you would think would lead him to be a potentially great offensive lineman like his dad was, but hell I'll take him at tight end too. I love big blocking tight ends and, 
you know, that's one of the reasons I love Kate Otten so much, who will spearhead the tight end group for us this season. He's a blue collar guy. You're not going to see him wearing football gloves. Really just a blue collar, loves football, hard nosed guy. And it's great to see Durham Cato taking over the tight end coaching position and filling the the cupboard, so to speak, with some of the same mentality and physically gifted guys. Yeah. And while I agree with you that Kate Otten's, you know, one of these, you know, blue collar, you know, types of guys, rough him around the neck types of guys, he's, he's also extremely polished and just fundamental, right? He's just like an he's all around great football player. Yeah. He, he does the right things and you're always going to find him in the right spots in the field. So he's a really good guy for us to, to have leading that tight end, tight end group. Um, going back to Jack Yerry, just real quick. I wonder if we're going to see some George Fant packages in, in his future or something like that. Wouldn't put it past him. Yeah. So if he can be an athletic tackle style, that that's, that'd be fun. So, all right. I think that kind of wraps it up for the tight ends. Um, Yeah. We can move on to receiver where, you know, probably second to quarterback. This is going to be the most fun that we have on, on this episode for sure so we have three guys coming back with a little bit more experience than most of the others um and they're right now kind of slotted into and i guess typical formation you're going to have two two wide wide outs like two receivers out, out on the outsides along with a slot receiver and the two guys on the outside are probably going to be puka nakua Someone that uh, was a true freshman last year, and he was highly recruited out of Utah. His brother Samson went to Utah, so it was between Utah and and UW to get him. And really, really glad that we landed him. Uh, he did get injured last year, and I'll have Sam go into what we're hearing on that a little bit more. But in a second, I want to get a little bit deeper into this real quick. So uh, someone that, you know, showed some good flashes, though, before he got hurt last year. And back to the whole Chris Peterson thing, not getting some of the young guys involved early enough in the season last year. I think this is a guy that could have been a difference maker earlier in the year, especially in a game like Cal when we lost in the second game. For sure. Yeah. Uh, So... He had seven. He ended up. He ended the season last year with seven receptions for 168 yards and a couple touchdowns. Um, but like I said, he he got injured kind of m- midway through the year, and he had only really started to play. He, he had two kind of solid games at, in the Arizona game and the Oregon game, and then he got hurt. So didn't really get a chance to see the full potential of Puka Nakua. So hopefully he's out there for a full year this year, and we can see. We can see him him shine in that role. Um, and I guess one thing that I want to touch on real quick before I go down the rest of this wide receiver depth chart is I am so glad that we're not going to be slot receiver central anymore. Amen. Like I'm done with the under six foot wideouts. Sorry, Aaron Fowler. Sorry, Andre Pacelli. Not that sorry, Andre Pacelli. Not sorry at all. Yeah. So those guys, you know, 
wish them well on the rest of their careers, but there, there was so much talent behind them last year that definitely deserved to be on the field and way higher upside. But, you know, that was last year. This year, we've completely done a 180 as far as the size of these receivers. Gone are the 5'10", 180 guys. Here come all the, you know, 6'2", 6'3", 200-pound receivers, and they're all over the place in this receiving corp. Super deep, super deep at this at this position. Absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, back to back to naming some of these players. The guy opposite of Puka Nakua is widely regarded as probably a probably the most experienced guy in this receiving core. Yep. Um Ty Jones for Husky fans that don't remember Ty Jones. He had a pretty stellar 2018 really came on strong in that year and had some big games in 2018. He, uh, he had 31 receptions for 491 yards and six touchdowns ended as up a sophomore. Yeah. As a, tr- as a true sophomore, true sophomore. Yeah. yeah. So he ended up red shirting last year. He played in four games, but he, but because of the NCAA rules, you can play four games and still red shirt. Um, because he had he was coming back from an injury and decided that it'd be better for him to redshirt and kind of get his body ready for for this year obviously he didn't know that COVID was going to happen maybe wouldn't have done that in hindsight maybe he would have came back for more games but uh, nonetheless very excited for Ty Jones to to get back out there and be a part of this receiving core I expect big things from Ty this year another big dude and he was, he was at the time, probably our biggest receiver. And, you know, now he's kind of average at this point, right? As yeah. far as this receiving core. He's definitely will continue to be one of the tallest, but he used to look like a giraffe among zebras. And mm-hmm. now he just looks like a giraffe with a slightly longer neck than the other giraffes around him. We've got some big receivers out here that hopefully will add an element of physicality and not only pass catching, but run blocking as well out on the outside. So looking forward to that, carrying it forward to the presumed starter at the slot position Mm -hmm. will be Terrell Bynum. He's also been around the program for quite a while. Last year, he came on strong at the end of the year with a couple of really tough contested third down catches across the middle uh, his stat line for the end of last year was 31 receptions, 368 yards for two touchdowns. One of those coming from a halfback pass from Richard Newton in the Boise <laughs> State game, which was mm-hmm. pretty awesome. So we expect him to hopefully pick up where he left off and really make that slot position his own and provide some leadership for some of the young, talented guys that are really exciting to talk about. Yeah, no doubt. And as Sam just said, it, the the real excitement, again, which is a theme, I guess, that's common among basically this entire team, but especially at receiver is is the talent that they have at in some of these young guys. Um, and two of those guys are freshmen this year that I think could factor in. And we've been hearing a lot of positive reports out of fall camp from Roman Dunze. Sam, do you want to talk about him a little bit? 
So Romo Dunze is a really highly recruited wide receiver from Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas, Nevada. Also a football powerhouse. Not really sure if they go to school outside of football there. But he, interestingly enough, of the two true freshmen that are really making a name for themselves right now, Romo Dunze and Jalen McMillan being the other, it really was thought to be Jalen McMillan leading the charge for this class and expected to make immediate impact, which for all intents and purposes, he still could. Jalen McMillan is for sure going to see playing time and he's going to make an impact. But from what we're hearing from practice reports, Romo Dunze is lighting it on fire. Our defensive backfield, we, we previewed it last episode. If you didn't get a chance to listen to it, go back and listen to episode two. Both Connor and I are extremely high on our defensive backs, super proven, very talented, very athletic. And to have a true freshman come in and beat some of these guys on a consistent basis is unbelievable. And so Rome was one of the guys coming out of high school that was, I guess you could say in air quotes, a highly regarded recruit based on potential. Mm -hmm. His size and speed is really pretty rare. He's a big physical wide receiver. He brings a defensive mentality to the wide receiver position. He's nasty. He likes to play physical, but he was also, I believe in the state championship, 100 meter finals in the Mm -hmm. state of Nevada. So he can flat out fly. And based on the things that we've been hearing, don't be shocked if number 16 ends up a starter really quick. Yeah. And I guess this is kind of where that fits in that we can talk about Puka. Yeah. So unfortunately, one of the things that we have been hearing again, it is the rumor mill and Jimmy Lake is picking up where Chris Peterson left off in terms of not providing a lot of access or insight into the program, particularly around injuries. But I have heard some rumors that Puka Nakua has potentially re-injured his broken foot from last season. I haven't gotten a great feel for whether or not it puts his season in jeopardy, but I certainly know that he hasn't been practicing at full capacity. I'm holding out hope that he'll be able to ramp up this week and the next and be able to you know, ease into a couple of snaps against Cal at the very least mm-hmm. and still you know, salvage a full season. Similarly, along the same lines is another highly regarded recruit, Marcus Spiker. Yeah. Hearing rumors that he's been battling a pretty bad hamstring injury, so I'm not sure how much we'll see of him. We've seen some flashes in the past where he's made some big, big long receptions. I think he averages 20 plus yards per catch. Yeah, he said he's the, the only the only few receptions that he's had have all been, you know, pretty long gains, which you know is a part of our offense that lacked a little bit last year. So, yeah. So hopefully those guys get healthy and can contribute. We think that they're both poised to have a place in this offense. No more so than Puka. I think he is probably the most playmaking has the most playmaking ability of all the skill position players on the entire roster. So probably the best hands too. Yeah. Really hoping that Puka can, get a full season under his belt. I think he can do some really exciting things. Then Austin Osborne, 
yep. came in. He's a redshirt sophomore, I believe. And, you know, he's been highly recruited from high school. He's been praised as being one of the better route runners on the team. As of today, he really hasn't seen many snaps on Saturdays. So he's another name that given the chance could, could make some noise, but I'll let Connor get us back on track with some of these really exciting crew freshmen, obviously at this point, really high on Romo Dunze, but coming into the year, you know, if, if you told us that one crew freshman was going to crack the starting lineup, it probably, we probably both would have said Jalen McMillan. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, that's a great point, Sam. I mean, real quick, before I touch on Jalen McMillan, I do want to go back to your point about Austin Osborne, about him not getting on the field. Austin Osborne is one of those guys that's a very polished route runner is, is what we're hearing. We haven't really seen it on the field, obviously. But someone that a lot of these guys were talking highly about going into last season, about him possibly breaking into that wide receiver rotation, that never even came close to coming to fruition. So hopefully under a new coaching staff and in a new offense, he's able to, you know, show signs of what a lot of the reporters saw in camp going into last season. I haven't really heard honestly that much from him from this fall camp. So I don't know if we should really expect that, but that's just my hope. Yeah. I hate to say it, but with such a loaded room, it wouldn't be a surprise to see some transfers. Yeah. Some, some folks enter the transfer portal. Yeah. He'd He'd be be a potential candidate for that. Um, But again, with eligibility out the window for this season, who knows whether that would be, a short-term decision or a potential transfer portal move in the spring, but he seems to more or less be the odd man out at this stage of, of his career and, and the position group. Yeah, no doubt. Anyway, we can talk about Jalen McMillan now. And one of those guys that when he, when he committed to the Huskies, that was, probably the highlight of last year's class second to Savelle Smalls. Uh, Jalen McMillan, he's 6'2", 185. Um, probably projects, honestly, I think more as kind of a slot style receiver, but he does have the size to play outside if he, if, if the Huskies see him fit into that, into that role. But a guy that was very highly recruited, you know, Alabama wanted him, ASU wanted him. Uh, I know he, he took a visit to Oklahoma at one point, Notre Dame wanted him, all the big schools around the country wanted their hands on this guy. And for the Huskies to get him is a huge credit to Junior Adams. Yep. And he's done, Junior Adams, talk about someone that's made an impact on recruiting. Last two wide receiver classes have been absolutely stellar. With, absolutely with with junior junior adams in the fold and so long as junior adams is you know a part of this this husky coaching staff i don't think we're going to see too many of the uh 510 185s come, no. coming around that's not his style of receiver junior adams for those that don't know him he made a name for himself as a wide receivers coach under bo baldwin at eastern mm-hmm. washington he's been known to coach up guys like Cooper cup who you'll see tear it up for the Los Angeles Rams on Sundays and has a lot of credibility 
with a lot of local Washington high school players, Vernon Adams, a former quarterback for the Eastern Washington Eagles, transferred as a graduate to Oregon for his final season. He's really involved in high school, developing high school players within Washington and has an extremely close relationship with Junior Adams. And one of these days we'll have to do a recruiting podcast, but we have the number yeah, we'll one. We'll probably save that for the offseason. Yeah, we have the number one wide receiver in high school in our state down in Stillicum, Emeka yeah. Egbuka, mm-hmm. and he's really tight with Vernon Adams, and we're hoping to win his signature, and I think that connection with Coach Junior Adams could pay dividends really quickly. Um, but yeah, getting back to Jalen McMillan, I know my dad and some other listeners are going to get mad at me for making this comparison, and I'm not saying that this is who Jalen McMillan is going to be like from a production and career perspective. But when I watch his game, I can't help but think about Jerry Rice. And I know that is a (laughs) huge thing to say because Jerry Rice is arguably the greatest. pretty loaded statement, Sam. I know, I know. Let me defend Please explain. Jerry Rice is arguably the, the GOAT at all positions, best football player of all time. But just from a body type and skill set standpoint that's who he reminds me of he's tall and long kind of lean but really a precise route runner and where you could see that more so than ever for Jalen McMillan was in the all-american game the army all-american game he really stood out and none more so on the first play of the game he he made a Jerry Rice special it was a five-yard slant inside he makes a catch and houses it like 60 or 70 yards and so he's that kind of player that can take the top off the defense super fast but he's also the kind of player that can take a simple five yard slant route and beat the whole defense make some moves yards after the catch and really make it happen so I don't say that to say that I'm expecting Jerry Rice production from him just if I had to make a pure aesthetic and playing style comparison that's the first person that comes to mind yeah for sure so a guy that will definitely factor in this year we said this before that this year you're going to see a lot of rotation in many of these position groups but i don't i think receivers probably the position group that you'll probably see the most of it just because we're so deep and there's a lot of talent that can make an impact on the field And I think Jalen McMillan is one of those guys that's definitely going to see playing time this year. It's just, again, where those spots are, when they are. You know, I mean, I think he's definitely the first choice to fill in for Terrell Bynum at slot if he goes down. You know, again, we haven't seen this guy hit the field, but just based on all the projections that he has, his size, he's ideal for that slot, slot position should Terrell Bynum have an injury. For sure. And just quickly to, to round out the wide receiver group, the other true freshman that's really exciting from my perspective is Sawyer Rocanelli. Mm-hmm. He, for all intents and purposes, is arguably the greatest Washington high school wide receiver we've ever had. Yeah, I was going to say he, local came, guy. he came from Hawkinson. I believe it's a, 1A or 2A program Mm -hmm. uh, in Southwestern Washington. And he had a very prolific career. 
and he was on track to shatter all of the state records his senior year before he ended up blowing out his knee in I think some off-season seven-on-seven game before his senior season of high school. Sounds like his physical rehab has gone really well, and he's been looking pretty good in practice as well. The thing that stands out to me for Sawyer is he is a big receiver. He's what is his weight? He's got to be six, six foot, six, one, 205, 210 pounds as a true freshman. Yeah. Six, I mean, two, two, ten. Yeah. He's a big receiver. And a lot of people have been clamoring for us to give him a look on defense as an outside linebacker. That's how physical he plays. I think that's somebody who, while is certainly, you know, third from, you know, public, perception in that true freshman group behind Romo Dunze and Jalen McMillan. But again, kind of similar to somebody like a Kate Otten or a Miles Gaskin or a Ben Burkhurvin. He's just a stud football player. He yeah. can feel the game. He knows where he needs to be and he plays with a chip on his shoulder. And, you know, honestly, I'm not anticipating a lot from him this season coming off of an injury and being a true freshman, but he seemed I'm really bullish that he'll be a regular contributor for the coming years for the Huskies. Yeah. And he played a lot of positions in high school too, for a small school, but he, yeah. he has experience at a bunch of different positions. So he projects as a wide receiver, but you may see him change positions at some point and he's got the athleticism to do it. Absolutely. So needless to say, rounding out the wide receiver group, it's, incredibly deep again you never want to see anybody leave but it wouldn't be surprising to see one or two of these players enter the transfer portal because there just simply won't be enough passes to go around yeah for, for a group this deep but all in all to connor's point earlier the smurfs are gone we're not small slot receivers anymore we're big mean wide receivers that can body up defensive backs and make tough contested catches yeah you're gonna see a lot of that push people around in the run game and create some explosive that's how explosive running plays happen is right. when wide receivers cover their guys downfield and i i'm really excited to see what this group can do under junior adams this year and the years to come couldn't agree more speaking of running game let's do it Big Dick Newton. <laughs> Richard Newton is the top returning running back. Sam and I pleasantly call him Big Dick Newton. I mean, Richard, is, is, his first name's Richard. It, wherever your mind is going, listeners, his first name is Richard. His nickname is Dick. Yeah. And he's he's a large he's a large running back, so naturally. And when you score ten touchdowns, that's that's how it goes. That's that's who we're calling for when we're inside the five, for sure. He he definitely smells blood when we get into the red zone. Last year, you know, he was a great backup running back for Savon Ahmed, who's moved on to the pros. Mm -hmm. 117 carries, 498 yards, like I said before, 10 touchdowns. I anticipate him to come back in a really similar capacity. You know, I think there's some people that would make the easy assumption that he'll be our next 1,000-yard rusher. 
Connor and I are pumping the brakes on that just a little bit. As no knock to Richard Newton, we think he's going to get a healthy share of the carries and he's going to score a, hopefully 10 plus touchdowns again for us. Well, maybe, maybe not in a seven game season, but needless to say, he's going to score a lot of touchdowns for us mm-hmm. this year and the years to come. But Connor, why don't you tell him a little bit about why we're a little bit hesitant to crown him as our, our, our main horse in the stable. Yeah. I mean, you got some guys, I mean, behind him in the pecking order that like most would say, I guess at this point, but some guys that have some exciting intangibles. And one of those guys is Sean McGrew. Sean McGrew is, he started a couple of games last year, even though Richard Newton got the majority of the carries. Sean McGrew actually was, was a starter last year, a couple a couple of times, yep. I guess, like third to Savan Ahmed. But when Ahmed was down, Sean McGrew actually started a couple of games. Yep. Um, and this is a guy that averaged 6.2 yards per carry. So one of those guys that isn't really a run between the tackles guy, he can do it, but he really shines whenever he gets the ball in space. So I think he's a guy that can be a gadget guy for you in the backfield. So that's how I see us utilizing him, but needless to say, he's still going to get his touches coming out of coming, coming like even between the tackles. I think it's going to be largely a running back by committee a little bit, but I think the guy that we're really excited about is Cam Davis. Oh yeah. And Cam Davis played just in the bowl game last year, right? Um, I think he maybe had a, you might be right. I don't know for sure. I think he just played in the bowl game last year. Didn't, didn't play very much. He had a, he actually had a touchdown in the bowl, bowl game that got called back for a, a great, penalty. a great touchdown run. I think it was, that was 20 to 30 yard yeah, touchdown that was, scamper. That was his first time really kind of showing that flash of potential that he has. But Cam Davis is widely regarded as the best all around back in the room. You know, Richard Newton's kind of your power guy and goal line back is a little bit bigger and really gets those tough yards, short yardage. Um, he can't, I mean, Richard Newton's got a little bit of Chris Carson to him. Like that's, how, oh, yeah. like, that's one of like the like major comparisons that just comes into my mind as a Seattle fan. He likes contact, relishes contact, likes to go through people. And unlikely, really, unlikely to make it through the season unscathed. He's right. gonna and get he's gonna up. get he's gonna get dinged up, and he he Richard Newton missed time last year, and he's likely to miss time again this year. So Cam Davis is a guy that can fill in really well if Richard Newton goes down, and even if Richard Newton is playing, I think Cam du- Newt- Davis is still gonna get some some run. Um, so he was a he was a true freshman last year, right? Yeah. He well he redshirted because he only played in one right. or two games. So yeah. he's a redshirt freshman this year. He's six foot two oh five. Um so he's which, big too. He's not yeah, that so, much. I mean, smaller. He's, he's not small. So I mean to give you guys a comparison, Richard Newton's six foot two oh eight. Cam Davis probably isn't quite the physical style of runner. He can do that, but like I said, he's kind of more of an all around running back. If anyone was going to become the lead back, I think Sam and I both agree that it would probably be Cam Davis just because he's best suited to do do that. 
yeah, Cam Davis can do a little bit of everything. He can really, you know, run behind his pads with a lower center of, center of gravity and mm-hmm. push the pile forward. Maybe not to the extent that someone like Richard Newton can, but he can get the tough yards. But where he is different, and I think what sets him apart from someone like Richard Newton is his breakaway speed and he can really take it the distance i think his vision is fantastic from what we've seen in high school and in the you know handful of carries we've seen him take in college and i'm really bullish i feel like maybe tooting our own horns a little bit here we talk about miles gaskin and the great player that he was both connor and i called that from day one yeah and I feel like of all the positions on the football field that I can really evaluate with great confidence, running back is one of them. And I feel extremely excited for what Cam Davis can do. I think he has a really natural feel for the game. And, you know, to your point earlier, Sean McGrew, 6.2 yards per carry. I think he'll factor in to some degree, but I do expect this to be developed into a two-headed monster with Cam Davis and Richard Newton really carrying the lion's share of the load. Yeah. And because this offense is suited to run the ball, I could see, you know, 120 plus carries for probably both of these guys. Well, I guess in a normal year, not this year. In a six-game season, probably 80 plus carries for both of them. I could see that being pretty realistic. So... Sorry, I keep catching myself because I keep thinking it's a. I'm I'm living in Imagine Land, you know, the before know. times, pre-COVID. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, the the other guy that you know we can quickly touch on, but it's probably the odd man out here. He's the lone, uh, or I guess he's not the lone senior because Sean McGrew is a senior now. Yeah. But Kamari Pleasant is another guy that you know could could factor in. He's a he's a big dude. He's six foot two thirty. He's you know what you would identify a short yardage back to be on paper yeah but i think i think richard newton is filling that role you know nine times out of ten you might see kamari in there in some situations is he is he a good pass blocker he's okay i think you could kamari pleasant's just really an interesting player to me i quite honestly feel like he is playing the wrong position coming out of high school. He really came down to choosing between UW and Arizona state. Arizona state was recruiting him as a wide receiver. We wanted him to add a bunch of weight and become a bruising tailback. He's added the weight, but I've never felt like he was a natural runner of the ball. And so he does have natural pass catching ability. So we could potentially see him, filter in as a third down back if he can service well in pass protection you know sneak out of the backfield and catch reception he has the size and again on paper you would think he'd be a great short yardage back but I just don't think from what I've seen from him that he has the natural feel and vision required to be an effective running back so I think he likely becomes the odd man out in this in this position group and then quickly touching on a couple of other running backs before we talk about what you've all been waiting for in the quarterback (laughs) battle. Um, We have two really highly talented true freshmen 
Javion Sunday comes from Texas. Yep. We're starting to make some inroads into the Lone Star State, which will pay dividends. He, for those that don't know about Javion, he is arguably the strongest player on our team, pound for pound. I believe he broke the national record for deadlifting in his weight class at his age. And he is an extremely strong guy and he'll be really effective as a power runner for us down the road. I think with the players ahead of him, I don't anticipate to see a lot from him this season, but JV on Sunday is for sure a name to keep in mind for the years to come. Similarly, local Sam Adams, the second Sam Adams, Jr. Seahawks fans will remember his dad was a big old boy on the Seahawks defensive line. He's not quite and that big. He's not big quite that big. Back, he's a big running back. He's a really fluid athlete. He's one of those guys that can run really fast, but he doesn't look like he's putting any effort into it. Just really graceful strides. Um, he could factor into the running back committee down the road as well. He's a natural pass catcher. He can do a lot of things. There's also been some rumors that Jimmy Lake likes how Sam Adams looks like in the defensive backfield. So depending yeah. on how we recruit in that position group shakes out down the road, I think Sam Adams is a potential candidate to switch sides to the defensive side of the ball, but that rounds out the running back room again, similarly to the tight end group that we talked about earlier, really deep and they just keep stocking the cupboards which is a great position to be in, in, in this era of college football. Yeah, for sure. Depth at the running back position, especially when you're a running focus team is huge. So you got to keep that stable stocked. And sure. I think the Huskies have done a pretty good job of that, you know, in the past couple of years. And this year is no different. This year's probably honestly, you know, maybe even have higher upside than in years past. So I think so for sure. All right. You ready to talk uh, the position group that, you know, everyone has been waiting for the most important position on the field. Most say that's the quarterback position and uh, going into this year, there's Jimmy Lake said that there's a four way competition at quarterback. And last year we had a, a competition at quarterback as well. Jacob Eason ended up being, the the starter that many of us predicted to happen this year it's not so, quite so clear and they have you know some decent sized shoes to fill with Jacob Beeson departing for the NFL uh, a lot of talent so these four guys uh, you have Jacob Sermon who was the backup to Jacob Beeson last year really a similar style of player to Jacob Eason, similar body type, 6'5", 240. Uh, most of you guys might recognize the name Sermon. Uh, Jackson Sermon is his cousin. He's, a, he's one of the linebackers on the Huskies. And a former uh, linebackers coach, Peter Sermon, is that Jackson's dad, right? Yep, that's yeah. Jackson's dad, Jacob's uncle. So Jacob's uncle, Peter, used to coach for the Huskies as well. And he's so, Peter is now the D 
defensive coordinator under Justin Wilcox at Cal. There you go. Yeah. So they will they will be meeting their relative in in that first matchup against Cal here in a couple of weeks. So Jacob is one of the guys that's going to factor in this competition. Again, bigger dude. Uh, was a four star recruit out of Buffalo a couple of years ago, and one of those guys that, along with Colson Yankoff, put his name in the transfer portal. He did uh, going into last off season when Jacob Eason transferred into UW and uh, with some, you know, kind words from Chris Peterson decided to take his name out of the transfer portal and come back. Colson Yankoff did end up transferring and he's at UCLA now. Is that correct? Yeah. He's at UCLA and they actually just converted him to a wide receiver. So it didn't work out for him down at UCLA at quarterback either. Yeah. So, Suffice to say, Jacob Sermon, a uh, guy that came back and the guy that is the most seasoned veteran of Husky experience. All of three pass attempts completed two of them. So not very experienced. No. Uh, next guy that factors in is Dylan Morris. He's a redshirt freshman, a local guy. Uh, Graham went, Kapowson. Yep. He was a four-year starter there. A little bit smaller frame, six foot two hundred, uh, but he's got a pretty good arm. And uh, reports out of fall camp is that he's he's been showing pretty well, and one of those guys that even was kind of on the outside looking in to the quarterback competition last year, even though he wasn't. It was it was really a two man race with Jake Hayner and Jacob Eason. Dylan Morris was I know impressing some some coaches last year, even in, in fall camp. So yep. and quick note on Jake Hayner as well. For those that remember, he was in that quarterback battle last year with Jacob Eason. And I think the week before the season, they announced Jacob Eason would be the starter and Jacob Hayner promptly went into the transfer portal. He was actually just named the starting quarterback down at Fresno state. So yep. for those Jacob Hayner fans, they should, tune into Fresno state and see what he can do down there. It didn't work out here for him, but I think, you know, our room is filled with talent on paper and Dylan Morris, I think had something to do with that with how he was playing in fall camp and throughout the, the practice squad weeks uh, last season. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, if there had been a third guy last year, it obviously would have been Dylan Morris. Um, fortunately we didn't need him to play at all last year. So he was able to redshirt the true freshman coming into this class or coming into this year, Ethan Garbers, his brother chase is the starting quarterback at Cal and another family, Cal a lot. another yeah. family connection to Cal. So, it's going to be a big game week one for sure. Yeah, no doubt. So Ethan is uh, another heralded recruit had a huge senior year. And um, one of those guys that, you know, in a normal year, he might factor into this competition, I think, a little bit more. I'd say he's for sure probably the fourth guy out of these four guys just because he's a little bit behind the eight ball. No offseason, no typical spring practices and stuff for him to, even though he, he did enroll early to yep. get that stuff in. And with COVID, obviously, none of that panned out. So in a normal year, he might he might factor in a little bit more. Um, but 
Ethan's a guy that we're excited to have in the program and good depth to have at that, at, at that quarterback position. Absolutely. And then the fourth guy is Kevin Thompson. So here's an interesting story on Kevin Thompson. He, I believe, is going into his sixth year of eligibility. Originally came out of Auburn Riverside and uh, committed to UNLV. Played there a, a couple of years and didn't end up winning the job down there. So he transferred to Sacramento State where eventually last year he developed into one of the more productive dual threat quarterbacks in the nation at the FCS level and was, I believe, third in the Walter Payton player of the year voting, which is like FCS player of the year. Yeah, he was. So a guy that's had some success at the college ranks, even if it's at the FCS level. Sorry, you, I cut you off. You, you were no, no something. worries. I was going to continue with the postseason accolades for Kevin Thompson. He was the winner of the Big or the Big, Big Sky, Sky. Yep. Conference Player of the Year, yep. and really took that conference by storm and carried that Sacramento State team on his back and led him to a fairly unprecedented season of success for them. Yeah, and a guy that you know. Threw for over 3,200 yards last year and 27 touchdowns, eight interceptions. But as I mentioned earlier, a true dual threat quarterback, he had 127 carries last year for 619 yards and 12 touchdowns. So you can probably kind of guess at where our, our prediction is going uh, with just the style of play that we've alluded to in this Husky offense. It's going to be a very run first oriented team. And I think John Donovan also likes having a dual threat style quarterback. Um, so I think Sam and I are probably both in agreement that Kevin Thompson is probably the favorite to win this starting job at this point. We're still two weeks out from game time. Jimmy Lake, I might note, is carrying on the tradition that Chris Peterson developed in being very tight-lipped about the quarterback competition, especially. Most of it's, you know, to try to get a competitive advantage in that first game and not, you know, tilt your hand too much or show your hand too much. So... He hasn't really gone in depth if really even answered any questions about it. Pretty much yeah. any times it's brought up by any media members, he's just saying, you know, you're simple, no, or it's still a four-way competition, or we like what we've seen from all four guys, but some, you know, all four guys have also made their fair share of mistakes. Um, so anyway, back to Kevin Thompson. I think given the breadth of his experience in the college ranks, even if it's at an FCS level and the style of player that he is, as well as just like the fact that he's a seasoned veteran that really can, you know, command an offense and a playmaker too. That's, I mean, that's how he was labeled to a guy that can really extend the play and 
make some things happen on his feet. Um, I, I, I think it's fair to say that we, we believe that Kevin Thompson is probably the favorite. Um, but I don't know, Sam, did you want to give any of the other guys some shout and maybe make a case for a couple of the other guys? Well, I don't know if I'll make a case for the other guys, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you what the deal is. And we're going to go with process of elimination here. First quarterback out is Jacob Sermon, hands down. I think on paper, he is what you're looking for in a pro-style quarterback. He's big, strong-armed kid. I'm going to give a shout-out here to one of my good friends, Greg. If He's been a, a football announcer at Eastlake High School for a long time, so he had his fair share of being able to watch Jacob Sermon play in high school. And, you know, he was the one that kind of brought this to my attention earlier on. And after reviewing some high school tape, I tend to agree with Greg on this in the sense that Jacob Sermon is an extremely physically gifted player. He has all the tools that you would want in a great quarterback, Mm -hmm. but he is not a leader and he does not put the team on his back. All those years that he had a relatively talented Bothell high school team around him He never was able to elevate that team to win close games, win the important games and playoffs. And I think that there's just something that's left to be desired from Jacob Sermon in the intangibles department. So for that reason, I think he's out of the competition. I think it's also going to be really hard for somebody who entered into the transfer portal to then change their mind and come back and win the trust and the credibility of their teammates, I think is a really hard thing to do from a locker room perspective. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that he'll be the guy. I think second person out would be Ethan Garbers, the true freshman. I think it's really hard to come and play right away as a true freshman. I think he has a bright future. He's, you know, he has mobility, he has a strong arm, he has a, a good pro-style quarterback stature. His brother's been really effective at Cal. So I think Ethan Garbers could factor into the equation down the road, potentially. Um, rumor has it, one of our big boys fell on him in fall camp and bruised some ribs. I think that was a little bit of a setback for him mm-hmm. coming into the competition. So for that, I think Ethan Garbers is probably out And what that leaves us with are the two quarterbacks that quite honestly, I'm the most excited about. I think Dylan Morris is a stud. Think about someone like Jacob Browning, who before he had his soldier or his shoulder injuries, I think Dylan Morris has a stronger arm than Jake Browning ever did. Similar stature, similar kind of leadership and moxie on the field. He's a true competitor and can really carry the team on his back and will the team to victory. He's shown that on some inferior talented Graham Kapowson teams that have been really competitive in the state playoffs when he was a four-year starter there. And Dylan Morris doesn't get enough credit for his mobility. He's got a little bit of wiggle to him. And when you listen to Jimmy Lake and John Donovan talk about their quarterbacks, I think it's easy to draw the assumption that they're looking for a dual threat. But I think the term that they use more than dual threat is elusive quarterback. Hmm. And so Dylan Morris fits that he's not going to run for hundreds of yards and touchdowns, but think about someone like an Aaron Rodgers, who's not going to burn you for a bunch of rushing yards, but he's elusive in the pocket. 
he can get loose on a third and four, third and five, and pick up a first down. That's Dylan Morris's game. He can make that happen. I think he has a really strong chance at becoming the starter. Uh, I, I would be really happy if he did, but I think if I had to put my money on it, I do think Kevin Thompson will be our starter this re- this season for a multitude of reasons. One being what you mentioned earlier, Connor, around him having this dual true dual threat, not only being elusive, but really being able to put damage on the stat sheet in terms of yards and touchdowns rushing, I think is going to be an X factor. He has a veteran leadership. And from all the reports we've heard, he has gained a lot of credibility and trust and impressed his teammates quite a bit early on. And, you know, I don't know how much this factors into coaches' decisions, but when you have a thoroughbred quarterback like Sam Heward ready to come in next year, no it kind of just makes sense that you would play the sixth-year senior as a gap year and then let Sam Heward come in and compete and, for all intents and purposes, likely win the competition next year. Mm-hmm. But really what it comes down to is trying to win the Cal game trying to win as many games this season. And I think having an experienced veteran quarterback that can make things happen with his legs and is really in the same mold as somebody like Trace McSorley, who John Donovan recruited early on, makes sense. And then the last reason why I think it'll be Kevin Thompson in the end is he's the only one of the four guys that John Donovan brought in. John Donovan took the job. He went out, they reached out to Kevin Thompson. And so I think there's a lot to be said for that. I think they Um, wanted a different guy before that though. KJ Costello, which turns out maybe was a good move to not get him. Yeah, that's true. I think that's more of a product of Mike Leach's offense, not working in the sec. So, yeah. Well, when they beat LSU, we all thought it was going to work out well, but for sure. Yep. Seems like the SEC got smart and watched some tape of the Apple Cup and Jimmy Lake has laid out the recipe to totally destroy Mike Leach's offense. So I'm glad the SEC sat in the front row of that school class. Um, but yeah, getting back to the quarterback battle, I really yep. do think at this point it's a two-horse race between Dylan Morris and Kevin Thompson. And I'll let you talk about it a little bit, Connor. I know I know we've talked off mic about your opinion of this, but at this point, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if we rolled out two quarterbacks against Cal. I wouldn't like that, and I know you wouldn't like that. Yeah. I really don't like it just from – I think one of the things that we got so frustrated last year with the quarterback competition was the fact that – when you have a quarterback competition, that means that you have to split reps equally. Yep. Which then as a result means that the guys that are truly actually in the competition or maybe truly your best player at that position are not getting the necessary reps for them to be prepared for game one. We, we saw that last year. Yep. That's what I'm saying is that the whole Jacob Eason and Jake Hayner thing just 
left me with a bad taste in my mouth with quarterback competitions and that I think, you know, nothing against Jake Hagner. Like, I think, I think he's going to actually do really well for Fresno state this year. I think he's going to do well in that conference. And, but I mean, it was, it was very obvious who had the upside in that quarterback competition. And yeah, you're talking about a guy that started for Georgia as a true freshman in Jacob Eason. And I think it would have helped Jacob Eason, you know, grow in the offense to be able to get some of those snaps earlier on. And I think, you know, it didn't show in that first game against Eastern, but, you know, in a game like Cal, where we couldn't get anything going on offense last year, that second game of the year. And I don't know. I mean, it, it's definitely not the only reason that we lost that game. I'm not saying that by any means, but I'm just saying, you know, if it, if you can get your starting quarterback, your presumed starter, more reps going into the season, with the other number ones, I think that's what you should do. So I'm not a huge fan of having two guys play quarterback in a game. Yeah. I, it is something I think that we did see though. I will say at the beginning of Pete, Chris Peterson's tenure with Jake Browning, and who was the other? It was Jeff Lindquist. Mm -hmm. I think right? you're thinking of the year before Jake Browning came. It was Siler Miles and Jeff Lindquist really okay, traded. That's off. what it was. Yeah. So I think that's the last time that we actually saw two quarterbacks play like a half each or something like that in the first yep. game. Yep. And then Siler Miles ended up, you know, winning the job and starting the rest of the year. So. Uh, again, I'm not a huge fan of it. It, I see, I see the reasons behind it because then you can actually, you know, again, like we talked about last episode, these coaches really want to see these guys prove it on game day. You know, once the lights are on, and the speed of the game changes, who really is going to shine in that, in that spotlight? You know, so I get the whole reasons for it. I'm just against it because mostly because of the reps and then also because I think it's a leadership position that I think the yeah. guys need to look to one guy for. Totally so agree. I think those with those, with those two reasons, I'm hoping that it just ends up being Kevin Thompson or Dylan Morris. I don't care. Like start one of them though. Right. And start, start one of them for a full game. And if one of them struggles, then maybe put the other guy in, but like, don't, go into the game thinking you're going to play two quarterbacks like and like one drive it's and it's really hard to get into the flow of a game too right if you're not especially if they're going to like trade off drives or something like that or even if they're like trading off halves it just i don't know it just doesn't make sense to me so yeah i tend to agree with you on that i don't think a two quarterback scheme is going to work in the long run no not in this conference too like just it, not about it we're not the saints so you want to make a friendly wager sure i will let's put let's see what do we, we want gotta to put do? some odds on this because i think i think i think kevin thompson definitely is the the favorite okay give me the odds 
do I get Kevin Thompson? It's up to you. Hmm. And I guess let let's me preface, like, let me preface preface this by saying let's do like th- let's do like three to one odds. Okay, and the three to one odds that Kevin Thompson will be the leading passer at by the end of the season. Okay. Barring injuries, if there's an injury, yeah, the bet is off. Yep. Okay. I like it. Yeah. So let's do like, let's do like three to one odds that, and Kevin Thompson's the favorite. So the payout on, let's say, I don't know. What is this? A do like 60 and 20 or something like that. Is that fair? Sure. I was thinking we should wager with a beer of choice. And so that works. So, so we'll do it either. I don't know. What were you going to say? I guess. I was going to say we should do whoever chooses Kevin Thompson. If they win, they should get like a, a light beer of choice, whether that's Coors Light, Montucky. All right. I mean, something I like, like that. And then if whoever takes Dylan Morris wins, it could be a fancier beer, like a, I don't know, a George. Fancier Town beer or, or a, maybe a bottle of whiskey? Maybe a bottle. Of, well, I like where your head's at. Let's go with a bottle of whiskey. Bottle so of if it's a if a bottle of whiskey's on the line for Dylan Morris, I'm putting my name in for Dylan Morris right now. All right. All right. I'll take Kevin Thompson then. Okay. All right. So yeah. So if Kevin Thompson ends up being the leading passer at the end of the year, Sam will owe me a six pack of, beer. A six pack of light beer, probably Coors Light. And then if Dylan Morris ends up, you know, supplanting Kevin Thompson and being the leading passer at the end of the year, I will owe Sam a nice bottle of whiskey. And by a nice bottle of whiskey, he means Jack Daniels, baby. I'll, I'll get you some gentleman's jacks here, at least like, Ooh. at least sipping on some actually sippable stuff by itself. All right. Well, I like the sound of that. Sounds good. I'm looking forward to it. Cool. I'd be, I like it. I'd be happy either way, as long as they're successful at quarterback. So. <laughs> Love it. I think with that, we've pretty much rounded out our offensive preview. Let's yeah, we're pretty touch. over our time. So let's let's touch on the dogs in the NFL real quick. Well, let's let's just touch really quickly on the special teamers. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Place kicker is gonna be what we're we've seen in the past couple of years. Yep. Peyton Henry had a good year last year, hundred percent on PATs, ninety percent on field goals. He's gonna be wanna, Yeah, I wanna say real quick, I think the best thing to happen to Peyton Henry was Tim Horn being recruited. Yeah, it gave him a lot of competition and yep. lit a fire on under his ass, and he had a great year last year. I think Tim Horn is going to continue to push him in that way. Tim Horn will still continue to be our kickoff, kickoff. specialist. He's done a great job kicking the ball into the end zone. I think Holder is going to continue to be Race Porter, who also just got put on scholarship. I think it's probably a one-year deal, but a good story for him. And then returners, I think we'll see some exciting things this year. My main man, Kyle Gordon, Kyler Gordon coming up again on the podcast. I think kick returns, punt returns. He's just a special athlete and can make some things happen. Yeah, for sure. And Sean McGrew and Salvan Ahmed were kind of the two main kick returners last year. So with Salvan gone and then, I mean, Sean McGrew is still going to factor into that, but all reports out of camp is that, Kyler has really excelled in that return game and they're really want, wanting to get that athleticism on the field on special teams. So 
For sure. There's been one more name out there in the return game that's been intriguing. I'll let you talk about him for a minute. Yeah, Trent McDuffie. You might remember us talking about him as our starting corner opposite of why am I blanking on Keith Taylor? Keith Taylor, his name. It's late, folks. Uh, so <laughs> Trent McDuffie, a ball hawk, and a dude that has been very outspoken in interviews about his return skills and, you know, really takes pride in whenever he gets his hands on the ball, especially on defense, he wants to score. Yep. So a guy that could definitely factor into the return game. I think even probably, probably the punt returning even too. Yeah. Um, just he's so quick, twitchy, and really, um, really one of those athletic guys that could do some damage in the return game this year. For sure. I think when it comes to the return game, one of the things that plays into the equation is can you risk it if that person gets hurt? Yeah. And that's where, you know, for Trent McDuffie, he's going to play such an integral part of our defense, locking down a third of the field. And I think Kyler Gordon is just such a good athlete and has so much upside as a returner that I'm not sure it's worth it. Even Trent McDuffie being as good at it as he could be, yeah. I'm not sure the risk is worth the reward in that instance. Yeah. So I, I, I anticipate Kyler Gordon making that position his own. And hopefully we're able to, you know, at least get back to half of what Dante Pettis was in the return game last year, having Will, Will Fuller back there. And in the punt return game, we took a major step back in terms of playmaking ability. I anticipate Kyler Gordon to, to pick up the pace there and get us back on the right track and make some things happen. Yeah. I don't know if any of these guys are Dante Pettis, but, no. you know, those don't come around very often. So I think, I think Kyler would be a very fine returner though. So agree. Cool. Pro dogs. All right. Quick wrap on the pro dogs here. We will uh, go over this quickly because it's depressing as hell. Kind of Seahawks <laughs> had a tough one against the Arizona Cardinals last night on a bright note, the two main contributors that are pro dogs on that defense made some things happen. So I will tell you now that I was very conflicted, mostly sad and angry, but I was very conflicted when Russ threw that first pick and Buddha intercepted that ball. I think it honestly turned out the best that it could have though, because it ended up not having any impact on the game. And we got to see DK Medcalf run like a fucking stallion yeah 80 yards and gain 10 yards on buddha who is not slow by the way yeah buddha's got wheels so a thoroughbred in dk medgaff just ran that dude down and if the seahawks pull out that victory yesterday we're talking about that as the play of the year still arguably the play of the year yeah. But it would have looked better in a win. Anyway, Buda, back, Buda back also added 14 yep. tackles. He just wrecked the Seahawks defensively. Yep. Yeah, he did tackle for loss, another pass defense. Um, yeah. Another stellar, stellar week for Buddha and really, you know, 
solidifying that Cardinals secondary and being a leader in that Cardinals secondary and, you know, proving that he's worth that money that he was paid that this off season. So arguably the best safety in the league right now. Yep. He's playing like it. Um, the other guy that had an impact on yesterday's Seahawks Cardinals game was Byron Murphy. Didn't actually start this last week. Uh, he had he had been starting pretty consistently this year, but he didn't start this last week. Though he had a couple tackles and he had a big sack on Russ in overtime, um, and that was probably that, that was on a third. It was a third down sack that ended up leading to the game winning field goal drive by Arizona. So you could say that he had again a huge impact play on that on that game. Yep. You want to touch on a couple of the other guys? I know I, I, there's two other guys probably that we want to touch on. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk about big country, Caleb McGarry. Mm-hmm. He's been, you know, a steady starter for Atlanta. It, you know, as a right tackle, you're not going to get into the stats book very often, but he's been a stalwart for them, really picking up his gameplay. Uh, he missed one game this season so far with a bum ankle, but he's, been more or less a a solid starter at right tackle for Atlanta although they've been struggling he's been a little bit of a bright spot for you know settling in as the the future starter for that position for the years to come for Atlanta Mm -hmm. and then the other person we should call out is Shaq Thompson had a hell of a week for Carolina Panthers I think he led his team with tackles I think it was 13 tackles I can't remember the exact number but he had another great game and Similarly to Buddha, Shaq got a big payday this offseason, and he's shown everybody that he's been worth the investment from Carolina. So it's, again, yep. another week. Pro Dogs are showing out on Sundays. Yeah, and real quick, I'm going to bring up the Rams-Bears game from tonight because I know Taylor Rapp had his first interception of the year. I want to see how many tackles he ended up with. Yeah, he Aired had up. an interception in the end zone. Yes, yep. Yep. So that was a big play for them. It was off an, off of a deflection. Um, so yeah, Taylor Rapp with his first pick of the year. He also had a pass defense and seven tackles. And then Greg Gaines had a half sack. So awesome. Shout out to the big boy. I really miss actually. Greg Gaines was one of those you know guys that I really enjoyed having at UW and watching every Saturday. So. Glad that he's doing doing well in the NFL and sticking around on a on a good team in the Los Angeles Rams. And quick shout out to Vita Vea. We all know that at this point his season's over with a broken ankle, but that's not keeping the big man down. He just got engaged over the weekend. Yeah. So good news for Vita trying good to keep his up. spirits up and we're we're confident he'll be back on the field next year and and making a name for himself in the in the NFL. Yeah, someone else I think on the Huskies just got engaged to Kate Otten. Football. Kate Otten. There you go. See, we should have talked about that today whenever we were talking about tight ends. So good Can for Kate. Can you Kate. feel the love <laughs> So congratulations to Kate and congratulations to Vita. Uh, happy to see that they've found love and are, uh, you know, doing big things in their personal lives as well as things on the field. Cool. I think that's all we got. Yeah, I think that's all we got today, folks. So thanks for tuning in if you've tuned in for this long. 
you are a trooper and a true Husky fan. So hopefully we were entertaining enough for you to stay um, till the end here. Um, again, please subscribe and follow us and leave us feedback. Uh, you can leave us voice messages through Anchor. And especially if you want to hear a question, we, we, we would like to do like a Q&A session once we kind of build a following and, you know, have some listeners that actually want to ask questions. So if, please, if you do have questions, leave us a voice message and we might feature you on the next episode. Um, so we are one week away from game week. And we, like I said last week, we're thinking about three uploads next week. So this is going to go out Tuesday, the 27th this episode and then so we'll have another episode tuesday the november 3rd yep and uh that'll be a largely a prediction style episode sam and i are going to make our picks for who's going to lead the team in certain st statistical categories what we think the final record of the team is going to be um who are some freshmen that are going to make some impacts on on this year and you know some that that style of episode i guess so it might be a little bit shorter than our our last couple episodes yep um and then friday i think we're going to we should try to have that maybe uploaded friday night so i don't know yeah. we'll have to plan out where we when we want to record that but we'll try to upload friday night kind of a night before look at that first game against cal That'll be kind of a preview style episode. And then we're going to do a raw, irrational reaction. Uncut. Yep. Uncut, all that sorts of stuff. So that should be a fun episode after the Cal game. Hopefully it's a, you know, happy episode more than an excited episode, more than a frustrated episode, but nonetheless, it should be entertaining. So please stay tuned for those, those episodes to come. We also are in the works of planning out a Seahawks and Sounders kind of a pro Seattle sports episode that'll probably come out that following week. So be on the lookout for that as well. But yeah, until then, uh, look for us next week in episode four with that prediction style episode. Again, give us a subscribe, follow us on Spotify, leave us reviews, feedback, all that stuff is welcome. Sam, did you have anything else to say? Go dogs. Go dogs. <laughs>